This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles? We're going to be floating between uh, John 14, 15, 16, and we're going to be floating between that and 1 Corinthians 12. And while you are turning there... um, I don't know when you, if you're a father, began your career for dad jokes. Uh, I began mine, uh, I think, what, 20 years ago, probably, when Maddie was five, six years old, give or take. I, it's when I first try, you know, tried out new material, you know. Uh, and I, I remember it uh, because it went so poorly. Um, we were at a railroad crossing. And, and I said uh, to Maddie, uh, railroad crossing, look out for the cars. Can you spell that without any R's? Anybody heard this before? <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> yeah, right? So, and I'm like, I'm, I'm just pulling the strings. I'm trying to, I'm working on the timing because I'm still a young comedian, whatever. And, and I, I finally, she's like, Dad, you can't. Railroad is all R's. I'm like, no, no. You, can you spell that without any R's? That, T-H-A-T. Yeah, that was the response she had to it. <laughs> yeah, I've since worked on it, uh, my material. But w- w- I don't know what it was about that specific moment, but I remember it as I said it out loud. It was literally the first time that I remembered saying that joke that my grandfather had told me when I was a child. He was the original dad jokes before there were memes or the internet. Like he was, And he had four of them, and they were all just as bad as that one. And he laughed just as hard every time, like it's the first time he'd ever said it. And I, I think what was so striking to me, though, was I didn't even know that was in me. Where did that come from? But there's something about... So Pete Scazzaro, I don't know if you know who Pete Scazzaro is. He's a pastor in upstate New York. And one of the things that Pete does is he, emotionally healthy leadership. And, and one of the things that Pete talks about as far as pastors and ministers and finding emotional health is that Jesus may well be in your heart, but your grandfather is in your bones. That, that the essence of who we are doesn't just start with our father, but it's through our grandfather and our grandfather's grandfather. It's our ancestry. Do you wonder why 23 and me and these places are so popular because we know somewhere wired into us that there's an identity that's in us that doesn't just start the day we were born. Uh, I had a conversation with my friend uh, Dave and uh, Dave looked at me and, uh, and said, Tyler, you're kind of a fighter, I've noticed this year. Are you a hillbilly? Any hillbillies in here? Come on, don't be ashamed. No hillbillies? Scottish Irish? Oh, yeah, we got hillbillies. Rob, I knew that. I don't know how I knew that, but I did know that. He, he meant it as a compliment. We'll put it that way. He wasn't trying to insult me because he's a hillbilly. But the truth is I'm not a hillbilly. I'm like a redneck kid from Nebraska. And if you remember, I've shared over the years that the family that I came from, my ancestors, uh, remember, in Nebraska, on the Oregon trail. We were from Nebraska, which means my ancestors were on the way to Oregon and at some point thought, that's good enough. (laughs) 
they're quitters. <laughs> I actually, for a long part of my life, thought we could have at least made it to Colorado, right? Like, at least wait till it got hard. Could have been born in Oregon. Have you been to Oregon? Not the last year, notwithstanding. I mean, I don't know. I just don't really like it when people are burning my stuff down. But I, I, up until this last year, I felt like I really wanted to live in Oregon, but I'm kind of okay with that decision now. But um, there are actually a lot of really wonderful people in, in, in Oregon. I, I bring this up because I used to think of my grandparents' ancestors as quitters. But when I've read some heritage on them and I realized that my, uh, my great, 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 I don't know, I'm losing count, grandfather, uh, who, his name was Eurastus Comstock. I kid you not, that was his name. <laughs> the jokes write themselves, don't they? <laughs> you bet your... Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Eurastus, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> I didn't have the courage to say that in the second service, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Here's my grandfather, uh, Dale Dunn, Okay. He was 91 or 92 in that photo. Uh, he cared for my grandmother, uh, Levita. Is there not a more Midwestern name than Levita? If your name is Levita, I'm apologizing right now, but uh, sounds like cheese, doesn't it? <laughs> Some Levita cheese. Uh, Levita was like the matriarch of my family, but uh, my grandfather took care of Levita all the way up until she passed when she was diagnosed with dementia, which was later was Alzheimer's, and he kept her in their home for 15 years, up until really till the last month before he, he put her uh, in a place where they had to take care of her, and he, he did everything he could. Um, and you know what I learned watching my grandfather do this? My ancestors weren't quitters. They were pioneers. They started stuff. They got to Nebraska and saw that this is a dangerous place. There's a lot of danger here. If we, if we build an outpost here, we can provide a place of safety and protection for people traveling along the Oregon Trail. In fact, in 1864, their outpost was attacked by a few hundred Cheyenne, and uh, just a handful of people survived, including uh, Eurastus. Uh, and because of that, I am here. And what I take from that is this. My grandfather is in my bones. My ancestors are in my bones, just like yours are in yours. My grandfather never, ever sat down and told me to be a pioneer, to start new stuff, to do dangerous things. He told me, railroad crossing, look out for the cars, whatever. Uh, but he showed me that. And when I look at the 26 years that Shannon and I have spent together, I've done some dangerous crap. We've done some scary stuff. We, I mean, for crying out loud, we started a church. Right? Talk about, that's the thing. I mean, pioneers, they get shot. Like, it's not a, it's the settlers that come behind that, that get to, it's the pioneers that take, you know, take it with arrows. And I realized that that was part of what was in my bones from my ancestry to who we are today. The good and the bad. The, the, the era, the essence of who we are is from 
our ancestors. And so when you go back to the Pete Scazzaro moment, what he's saying is that your ancestors are in your bones. Your grandfather in discipleship is a step-by-step more and more and more of Jesus moving from your heart into your bones, into just the essence of who you are. What does this have to do with 1 Corinthians 12? I actually had a, a, a great metaphor that I was going to use for you this morning about the Holy Spirit. It was a really good one. Um, I have the Gerber. Anybody got the Gerber? Do you know what I'm talking about? The pliers and the, the knives, and of course, Audrey has one. Um, uh, I don't know how many of these I have lost in airports around the world because I forget to check it. I'm like, oh. Some TSA agent somewhere has got a whole collection of the Darren Tyler collection of uh, knives and things that I've lost it there. But I was going to show this to you because I thought this is like the, the picture of the Holy Spirit of this tool that's in the hand and it's got a screwdriver and it's got, I guess it's called scissors, it's really not, uh, uh, knives and screwdrivers and the right tool for the right job that you're going to need at the right moment. Obviously, this morning, you can, if you can see or not, but I, I, a little cut from playing around with it this morning when I was trying to get this together. But as I was praying about it, and I spent some time going, okay, what was, when Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit, Jesus didn't start at 1 Corinthians 12. He starts while he's still on the earth in John chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16. And if you have your Bibles, um, I'd like to share with you a couple things before we get to 1 Corinthians 12. Because Jesus didn't use the language of a tool to be used by somebody. He used the language of a child being welcomed into the family of a king. That's a whole different metaphor. And in John chapter 14, 15, 16, if you start with chapter 14, uh, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see, the language is already there of a father. I'm going to come for you. This, you're not a tool. You're not livestock. You are a child, and I'm adopting you into my kingdom. And then in verse 21, towards the end, he says, The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I too will love them and show myself to them. More language of a father and a relationship. And then down in verse 26, in that day, he's speaking of when the Holy Spirit comes. You will ask in my name, but I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Listen to this. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. I'm now leaving with the Father. More father-son, father-child relationship. I don't have to go to a priest to ask God anything. I now have a relationship directly with him. Jesus, the reason I don't have to ask him is he's my brother in this metaphor. We are co-heirs with Christ. And we get to go directly to the Father. You want to know one of the things that got Jesus killed? This. This was heresy to the Jewish people. 
that you could speak directly to the Father without a priest in between you? This was not what they were looking for. The, The language of family is what he's speaking of. And by the way, at the same time, the, the language of family, you're going to ask in my name, we're brothers, my father, this whole thing, loving. He also goes on to say in chapter towards the end of 15, 16, how many of you actually grew up in a small town out of curiosity, like a tiny little one? Like my town was more of a road, right, with some buildings along the side of it. If you were in that town that your father was born and raised in and his father was born and raised in, one thing that you know is that how you are thought of at five years old, completely unbeknownst to you, is 100% based on what they thought of your father and of your grandfather. You're born into that. So if, if your grandparents were picked on and bullied. It's, it's this fascinating. You can see it, how it plays out in society. It's how it played out in my life. Five, six, seven years old, I didn't know the reason that I was picked on and abused was because my dad was and because his dad was. And all I knew was that when I was 18 years old, I loaded up my little crummy Oldsmo Buick piece of junk and got out of town because I wanted to reinvent myself. Jesus said this, they hated me they hated my father. They're going to hate you. The world will hate you because they hated my father. And I think it's right there at the end of chapter 15, Peggy probably knows me, where he says that uh, they hated me for no reason. So don't even try to think about why. I spend a lot of time thinking about, do you have no idea how nice of a guy I am? Like, I'm literally the nicest guy I know. Why do you hate me? I'm also very humble. Um, but Jesus said, because, because it was written, they're going to hate. The world hates the Father, hates Jesus. The world will hate you. Don't be surprised when that happens. And all of that context, okay, is what's going to lead us to 1 Corinthians 12. Because Jesus says that I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth that will lead you into truth, in a world that is hostile to the gospel. They're going to, I think right in the beginning of chapter 16, it says, he's telling these disciples and us too, there's coming a day when they're going to kill you and think they're doing God's work. Does that sound familiar? We maybe aren't getting physically assassinated, but we are being socially assassinated by people who say they're doing God's work. And the question then the Holy Spirit. In that context, I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to help you navigate these complicated and complex waters that you're about to swim into. With that in mind, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Okay, I'm about to read to you the tools from the Gerber, but I want you instead to not think of them as the tools of the Gerber, but the essence of who our Father is with the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is what rises from within us, the essence of who God is. If it were my grandfather being spoken of in here, some of you would do corny jokes, right? Some of you would fly helicopters into Vietnam. Some of you, you, you would do the essence of what my grandfather did, but that's our heavenly father. And when you think of that, it says that to each one, 
verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Holy Spirit given in you will manifest in certain ways. Hear me say, I'm not talking about like some ethereal spirit of the Cimarron Disney movie thing. There, the Holy Spirit is not impersonal. The Holy Spirit literally third member of the Godhead indwelling you. And this, when this dwells in you, these manifestations are what come out of that. Verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. And to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. He distributes them to each one just as he determines. Like these tools here from the Gerber are not tools. They're essences of who our Father is and at specific moments of need and of danger and of community a gift might pop up in you or might pop up over here, but they're all needed for the common good of the church. The first one he lists here is, and we're only going to do three of them today, is the word of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Uh, we're all called to have wisdom. We're all called to be wise. right? Wisdom is a biblical idea. Uh, I think one of the best definitions of wisdom uh, that I've ever heard, do you, do you guys know who uh, Henry Cloud is, if I say that name? Uh, Henry Cloud defines wisdom in this way, wise and fools. He differentiates by this. A wise person hears the truth and adapts their life to what the truth is. A fool takes the truth and adapts the truth to what they want it to be in their life. That's why there are a lot of really smart fools. It has nothing to do with how much knowledge you have and everything to do with how much wisdom you have. So when you hear somebody even say the phrase, my truth, I kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Is it true or is it not? And let me tell you, one of the things we're hearing a lot from especially progressives who have been a part of a relevant, relative truth in these past 20 years, they're all crying out for the same thing right now, which is, okay, turns out there must be something true. And Jesus, of course, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. When you hear somebody say, I don't feel like this is true, or it can't be, I don't feel like this can't be, what they're really saying is either it is true and I don't like it, or it's not true, and I don't like it. But what they're saying is, this is true, and I'm, it makes me angry, and so I don't like it, so it can't be true. That, that's the step, that's the question behind the question of I don't feel like this could be true. Wisdom is able to say, here's truth, and now here's how we're going to adapt our lives to it. Okay? The book of Proverbs is full of wisdom. And probably 80 to 85% of our lives involves things 
that we need wisdom that I can't immediately get from the, the Bible. Let me tell you one thing. Should I take this job or should I not take that job? Like, can I find, I can find wisdom in the Bible, but, but at some point I have to get some sort of a wisdom to say, is this the right career move for me? Should we start a church in 2010? Like, what, what is wisdom to that? The word of God is complete. The word of God is inspired. It is God's record, his final record of what he wants to say to us. And wisdom takes and weaves these things and helps you to make the right decisions. I'll give you an example that we had this past year. Back in May, we were wondering, like the rest of the world, should our church family open our doors to public gatherings again? We needed wisdom. Anybody been around me for any length of time, you knew I was full of knowledge. I was studying, I was researching, I was wearing out poor Josh Stevenson on Twitter trying to understand these numbers and trying to figure out. I needed wisdom. What do we do? May we turned our little church into a prayer chapel and people came and prayed throughout the day and the Lord moved in people's hearts and it was powerful and I, we will do that again. Once we get this thing finished, we'll turn maybe an annual, I don't even know. But on one of those days, this, this nice young lady comes out the front door and I just happened to be standing out there and she was all shook because she had said uh, earlier that day she felt she had a word for me from the Lord but she was, of course she's scared. Anybody's scared. Uh, she doesn't know me. Am I going to be a grumpy old pastor? Technically. Uh, but, but she came up and she's got tears and just nervous as a barn cat. And she says, I think, I feel like this is what the Lord. And by the way, that's a great way to lead in. If you feel like the Lord is wanting you to share with somebody or something, start with that. I think, I feel. Don't go into with a thus saith the Lord, okay? Because... <laughs> Most times that's a thus saith the Darren, and then you kind of leave them in a zero-sum game, right? I mean, I remember back in the 90s when we were uh, booking uh, contemporary Christian music artists, and uh, one of them was a, a, a lady named Pam Thumb. Do you know who the Pam Thumb is? Um, and Pam uh, was, uh, she kind of looked like Pocahontas. We always felt like if it didn't work out in music, we'd just send her down to the mall and sign autographs because she just... Just very striking. and Anyway, the point of telling you that was I had these music pastors that would call with these huge financial offers, and then I realized what was really going on was God told them that they were supposed to marry Pam. I was like, uh, to the manager, I don't feel comfortable with this at all. Like This is dangerously close to... Anyway, so we... Uh, God told them to marry. That's not a word of wisdom or word of knowledge. You can immediately reject that from the scripture. That is not what happened in May. In May, she said opens up the book of Acts, chapter 18. By the way, Corinth, that's where it's at. Paul is in Corinth in chapter 18, just a God incidence, I guess. And in that moment, she says, Paul had been beaten, he had been abused, he had been oppressed and pushed back, and he was done, he wanted to leave the city, and Jesus appeared and told him, don't go, speak up, use your voice. There are people in this city that need to hear what you have to say. I'm not going to let them harm you. And at that moment, on that day, I knew that that was what we were supposed to do. We had sought wisdom with our, with our elders. We had sought wisdom with our staff and with, with data analysts. And we didn't make this decision in a vacuum, but it was the word from the Lord, that word of wisdom that took all that knowledge and said, open it up. Is it without risk? Absolutely not. 
we have 82 families representing about 500 people, and I promise if you were to ask any one of them, was it worth it, they would say, yeah. I've been doing this 10 years, and I know that when you ask people to help and to support a cause like this in person, when it is in person, the response and the impact doubles and triples every time. Do you know why Compassion International still sponsors your Christian music tours and you get annoyed every time? Oh, I want to hit the concert back here again. Because it works. They wouldn't do it if it didn't. It works in person. What we needed to hear was wisdom, was that this is not about risking lives, it's about saving lives. And that's what we've done. And tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives have literally been saved because of a word of wisdom from a young girl who had the courage to say, I, I, I'm so nervous, but I want to tell you this, from a word of wisdom. The word of knowledge. The next one, he says that, that some of you guys, that they're going to get the gift of knowledge by the same spirit. This gift, when I've seen it happen, tends to be the God gives a, a, a word of knowledge that you couldn't know any other way. You know, it's not like Karnak, you know, from Johnny Carson. It's, it's not a fortune teller, not that at all. It's, it's a word that the Lord drops in your heart of something you couldn't possibly have known any other way. And the person who's hearing it from you, it does what Jesus says again back in John 14, 15, 16. Here's what's going to happen. Here's how this is going to go. And I'm telling you this so that you will believe me. It gives you a little nudge that there is something here to be heard, this word of knowledge. And oftentimes that accompanies healing moments in people's lives. We've had it happen in this church. Mark Bourgeois stands up and says, the Lord, I just feel like the Lord's got this. And if you've got this specific thing and that person walked out healed that day, like that's that word of knowledge that's there. And in a world right now where, again, hostile to the gospel, we need knowledge right now. We need to know to make the right decisions. We need that kind of knowledge literally and supernaturally. And the last one here, we're only going to do these three and then we're going to come back to the, uh, uh, we're going to do three a week for the next three weeks. The gift of faith, verse nine, to others by the same spirit, faith. We all have a measure of faith. There's saving faith. I say this often, but it's worth repeating every time that there is a, a, a faith idea that I just need to grow and be more and more strong and then I can be healed. Jesus, when he said that it took faith the size of a mustard seed, was not saying how much it would take, but how little it takes. That's not about that. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, where James, uh, John and Peter and John, I think, went to the gate beautiful and they, and they healed that crippled man at that moment. He even said to them, they, they were like, why are you marveling at this? It, it wasn't even his faith. It's the faith that Jesus gave him to be healed in that moment. Let go of the idea that I have to keep striving and getting faith. Faith in that moment for that miracle, if, if that's something God is going to do in your life, he'll actually give you the faith that you need in that moment to receive it. It's the, it's the best. When you say, I'm praying harder, I'm going to build up, I'm just picking up bricks when Jesus wants me to pick up the cup. Now for me, in our lives, we experienced that when we started a church in 2010. We said yes to the church in 2009. Does anybody, any historians in here, remember what happened in our country in 2008 and 9? 
and 10. And I mean, look, you remember like Tollgate? I mean, I'll live in Tollgate now. Back in 2009, Tollgate was bankrupt. There was nothing. It was just a few little houses and a bunch of people disappointed that they weren't going to get their amenity center. The, the Grove, remember the Grove, right by where I live? Where I'm not, a, we're not allowed to go in the Grove. Um, well, if we had a pickup and a weed eater, they'll let me in. But other than that, we got to go to our house around the corner. Um, that neighborhood was bankrupt. The neighborhood I moved into, you know, now it was bankrupt. What a terrible time to start a church. And the weirdest thing happened. I wasn't scared. That's not like me. I'm generally, I go through all the scenarios and okay, I finally get, okay, if these are the worst things that can happen, can we survive this? That's sort of my uh, faith. In that moment, I didn't feel any of that. In fact, we were a month out from when we were supposed to start meeting and we had nowhere to go. We had no place to meet. We didn't know if anybody was even going to show up if we did meet, but we knew this, we were doing something. And I was meeting with a, with a friend. Um, he was helping us get supplies into Haiti. I guess I probably should mention that there was a massive earthquake in Haiti the month we were supposed to start fundraising for the church. And so my sorry rear end was going back and forth and raising money for Haiti. But by March, we had nowhere to go. And we were having dinner with uh, some friends and we were having a, a lovely little uh, Mexican restaurant, not the good one on Highway 96. Um, I'll let you figure out which one I'm talking about. But with these friends who were helping us get stuff into uh, Haiti. And he says, well, are we going to be meeting for church? And I thought, oh, wait, we, you're going to come to, that's really fascinating. Uh, And and so I said, "Um, well, I don't know, probably Spring Hill High School because Independence High School doesn't allow churches to meet in there. And I didn't hardly finish the sentence. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. What? They don't let you? And then it, was, I, it hit me, oh my goodness, this is the guy that won the Supreme Court case that allows churches to meet in schools. <laughs> and how dumb was I that I didn't even think of that? Like, oh, no, no, no. And at that point, I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to get on TV. I'm not looking to sue anybody. I don't want to get in the news. And he was like, oh, no, no, that's not how that's going to happen at all. Uh, he wrote a letter, and we moved into Independence High School in five weeks with no time to spare. Gift of faith. Right now, my wife is deploying her gift of faith because we're building this building out back. We've been debt-free for 10 years, and please, God, I want to continue to be that. We've cut, we have kept this expense so low that it would be like the equivalent of making, if you made a half a million dollars a year and you bought a $100,000 house, you can afford it. But I don't want to. My wife's faith says that we're going to pay this off. And I think that the gift of faith in that moment, that's where she's at. And so instead of me trying to shame myself into believing more, and I'm just riding her coattails of faith all the way into the bank with that. Like I, have you ever heard of trickle-down economics right from the 80s? This is called trickle-down blessonomics. This is you marry a godly woman and you just eat the trickle-down from where the blessings from it. I'm going to end uh, with this because I want to make sure that I don't forget to tell you this. Uh, these three right here, I'm going to tell you six more, and maybe your first proclivity is now, how do I get this stuff going in my life? How do I get, what list do I need to cross off right now to make that stuff happen? And I feel like if that's where you are, then you are picking up the Gerber and trying to figure out how to get the knife out and how to get the scissors. It took me 10 minutes to try to get the scissors back in this thing last night. I couldn't figure out how to get the thing clicked. And uh, If you start here, 
you're starting in the wrong place. You go back to what Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Right in the middle of John 14 and 16 is this chapter 15. And that's what he says, abide in me, I'll abide in you. You'll ask whatever you want in my name. He starts speaking of this idea of what it would look like in chapter 15, verse 9, that as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Your King James, I think, says abide. If you, I think King James says obey, and IV says keep my commands. What were his commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You do those two things. Kept my father's command and remain in his love. And the verses right before that, he speaks of the vine and the branches. How many of you have been by Arrington Vineyards? 20 plus years ago, uh, Kip and Valerie Summers were are friends of ours, and they're part of that little crew. And they were going to plant a vineyard out in Arrington. And I remember saying to Valerie out loud, "Who is gonna come all the way out here?" Turns out everybody. <laughs> but not twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, they had us, David. They had us out there planting vines for them, like we were a bunch of. Uh, cheap labor out there. Like, like, well, I thought this was a party, but people are planting little tiny vines out there at Arrington Vineyards. And 20-some years later, when you drive by, what do you see now? You see vines everywhere full of grapes. Here's what you don't see. Remember, Jesus, I am the vine, you are the branches. You don't see you can drive by there anytime, day or night, and you will not see a vine freaking out, stressing and striving and trying to make fruit. They're just hanging in there, abiding, remaining. And Jesus said that if you do this, you will bear fruit, much fruit, fruit that will last. What does Galatians 5 tell us the fruit of the Spirit is? Love. Tucked right in the middle between 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is chapter 13. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. If you abide in me, right? It's the secret. There is no secret. It's remaining and keeping. Remaining and keeping. Obeying is not the obeying of like... You know, it's, it's, it's not Odge chasing Lilith down the hallway trying to get her to stop doing something right now and obey me before you go break your nose. Or whatever, you know. it's, it's not that language of obeying. It is keeping in the way that you keep a family heirloom, something that is precious and that is safe. Keep my commands to love your neighbor as yourself, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your song. Keep and remain. Keep and remain. And over time, fruit just happens. And these nine manifestations, they just sort of happen naturally. Is it a word of knowledge? Is it a word of this? I don't know. Maybe it's all of it. But if you're in the spirit, whatever's coming out, whether I can identify where it exists on the spectrum or not, it's the Holy Spirit speaking through you. But let me tell you this. Do not... Run out there trying to pull that stuff if you're not in a relationship of abiding and remaining. Abiding 
and remaining. You cannot live pitiful all week long and be powerful on the weekend. Darren, sounds like you're talking an awful lot about works. I'm talking about relationship. You see, my grandfather, again, never told me anything, but this is uh, back to my grandpa in Vietnam, 40 years old. So I went back into the army at the age of 37 to be a medic, went to Vietnam when he was 40. Rescuing, like flying in on these medical hospitals to rescue people who had been shot, injured, getting them out of there at great risk to his life. A pioneer who took great risks. I've never been on a helicopter flying into a country to rescue, but I tell you, I've been in some pretty crazy places. And there have been some pretty hairy moments where I thought, man, I don't know if life insurance covers this. But that's just in my bones. I didn't even know it. He just told me, railroad crossing, look out for the cars. But in my bones somewhere, my ancestors, the scrappiness, the fighter in me. And what I want more than anything is for them to look at me, for you to look at me, for us to look at each other and see more and more of Jesus and less and less of me. There's a statement that Bob Goff makes that's probably worth repeating and worth remembering when he says this, that our problem following Jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us rather than be a more accurate reflection of him. Abide, remain, abide, remain, abide, remain. Every day, whether it's through, I use the pause app through John Eldridge, Shannon uses dwell, worship music. Make sure that that's a part of your life after day, after week, after month. This world right now is set up to compete, to destroy, to steal every second it can from you. Fight against that. Rage against the culture. Punch the enemy back. Take back your calendar. Build in a discipline of relationship. And over the time and years, I promise it'll come up in your own lives. What would it feel like this time next year if you spent every day? I'm not talking hours a day. It's easy to feel so guilty. Man, you know, Spurgeon got up at four in the morning and prayed. Yeah, but he went to bed at seven, okay? So, like, like I get that. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no electricity. <laughs> Start with what you got. Can you do 10? 10 minutes. 10 in the morning, 10 in the afternoon, stretch it a little bit. What, what, would, what would your life look like this time next year if you were abiding and remaining, not striving and stressing? Stand and let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, be in them, be with them, bless them, move in them. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be all over us, that you would, Lord, that you'd forgive us. For, we keep picking up the bricks, and you just want us to pick up the cup. Thank you. You're so good. You're so kind. I pray that for us today, that as we abide, that we will begin to see and expect and be blessed by how you move in our hearts. We're not your tools. We're your children. Thank you for that. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. May your Super Bowl team win. They're not playing. <laughs> It's an exhibition. <laughs> <laughs>